When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week's episode is brought to you by us at Book Riot. We are giving away a $500, that's right, $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. This giveaway is open internationally through November 26th, so you have a while to enter. But why would you wait? Because we're talking about 500 bones to buy books. Go to bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway, all one word, to enter. That's bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway to enter to win a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 233. We are recording on Thursday, October 26th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. In these tumultuous times, Hello there. in these tumultuous times, time of turmoil, anxiety, and fear, <laughs> I get to bring you some good news. Oh, please do. Um, we reported on this story, reported. We looked at someone else's blog post. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's be real. real. Uh, about LeVar Burton having to shut up about um, reading rainbow-related catchphrases, jargon, mentions, otherwise using their intellectual property of WNED, the PBS affiliate in Buffalo, New York, that owns the Reading Rainbow brand. Um, they've come to a to an, an agreement an understanding a compromise a deal something of this sort because something happened LeVar they Burton, squashed the beef that now they squashed the, that lavar <laughs> burton can now use uh you don't have to take my word for it um in his you know lavar burtoning uh <laughs> around On his new podcast he has a new podcast he has r r r kids recently renamed lavar burton kids because are our kids with a Z is terrible. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, also, did you, I don't know if we knew this, but they had filed a suit, and the claim was for theft and extortion. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. That escalated that, quickly. It did, it did. Uh, regarding a series of alleged trademark violations, including promoting his podcast as a reading rainbow for adults, and repeated use of a catchphrase he used on air for over 20 years, but didn't technically own. Um, Double-check the legal history, and according to statement, uh, they have reached a settlement, and WNED has withdrawn his suit. So we don't know if money changed hands here necessarily, but I'm guessing LeVar gave them something, and they let him use it. Do you think that's mm-hmm. right? That is what I suspect. There was some kind of settlement. He wants to continue being able to refer to Reading Rainbow because Mm -hmm. this is, of course, what book people know him from all Star Trek fame aside. That's that's what I think happened here. And then in good LeVar Burton style, when he was revealing this news which uh, at a Comic-Con event uh, with Neil deGrasse Tyson, which is like the best possible world of anything, mm-hmm. LeVar Burton and Neil deGrasse Tyson, he said, it's all settled, but you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> which is That's so good. I mean, the more I read about this, 
LeVar Burton should be able to use intellectual property. I mean, it sounds like he should be able to use a catchphrase. But look, I, the, the local station bankrolled the show. And I'm glad they came to an agreement because that seems fair. Like, it's not wholly theirs, but it's also not his to use. It's like he, he, he raised a $6.5 million Kickstarter campaign, right, called RR Kids. Like, that's reading Rainbow, clearly, using the catchphrase. Like, there's a part of me that's like, he did. He also did something wrong here. Like, it's one thing, if he was just saying the more you know, like, you don't have to take my word for it in, like, speaking engagements, and they sued him, that's completely unacceptable. But, like, he's running, raising millions of dollars <laughs> to run a private company, as far as I can tell, and he's using you know, their intellectual property. I, I, so I've come a little bit away of around, like, okay, there's more going on to this than just him saying at the beginning of his podcast, right? You're, you're not just solidly team LeVar no, here. I no, you know, I don't I think so. I was thinking... I was thinking about this too. And I think what's interesting and the big question that I have is why did they sue him about this now? Like he's been the reading rainbow guy for 20 years. He's been doing stuff with reading rainbow, you know, or related to it, affiliated with it, allowing people to continue associating him with it, using this catchphrase for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And so like, what was the thing like, this is contributes to that feeling that I have that, there's like secret beef happening is like what happened that they decided, you know, now it's too much or now it's time to go after it. Like did, I don't know, did WNED get new attorneys who were like, Oh, by the way, you better lock that Mm -hmm. down. Or did somebody get mad at him and they had just been looking the other way, but decided to go after it. Like, I don't disagree that you shouldn't take intellectual property that you don't technically own and then continue to build your career around it that seems not great lavar but how it went on for so long and then all of a sudden wasn't acceptable mm-hmm. is a question that i have the lawsuit claims that burton persisted acting as if he were there were no restrictions to the license our kids had with reading rainbow including hijacking the reading rainbow website to redirect traffic to his own endeavors what that that mm. is bonkers like and how? 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 And leading the public to believe he still represented the brand via his podcast even after the licensing agreement was terminated. You know, he had a license agreement. It sounds like he overstepped the bounds of that license agreement. They got mad. They sued. And here we are. So I don't know. You know what? I don't know if this makes me feel... Now, I don't know. Is this good news? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's not. Maybe this... I mean, it's he can say... You don't have to take my word for it, but he's no longer part of Reading Rainbow. His official, he's, here's what he said. Here's what I'm allowed to say. WNED and I have settled all of our differences, and I wish them well, and I look forward to seeing what they do with the brand next. So that's, that's uh, mm-hmm. don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you comment from uh, LeVar Burton. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I'm glad it's resolved. Mm-hmm. I still want to know why it was a thing now, but... Whatever. But you know the other People thing is like things. we don't know Lavar Burton. You've met him, but you don't know Lavar. I mean, who? Maybe. I mean, my face touched his right. face very briefly. In but the but it's Airport. not like you did the Vulcan mind meld with them, where like you saw all of his secret. Like <laughs> he could be a jerk. For I mean, I tried. Though. He I could tried be a Jeff. jerk for all we know, right? I mean, he seems like a you nice guy, but like he could have done something wrong here. It just. I just. It has been. I just can't. Like I know that you're right, and I know that all of our faves are problematic, but. It's been such a terrible couple. I know of weeks. it's been it's been like, bad. I, I cannot currently accommodate the possibility of Lavar Burton being a jerk. Well, into even my if he's not a jerk, he could have overstepped the licensing terms 
and WNED could have made a reasonable claim. I think the way we first talked about this and the way it was first being thrown around is they were just trying to get him to stop saying that phrase like on his podcast or when he's making public appearances, which seems like a, a mm-hmm. crappy thing to do and like really, you know, a small beef. But it seems like they that there wasn't that wasn't all there was to this, is all I'm saying. It does yeah. It's it this was bigger beef than yeah. we first yeah. knew. But uh but beef nonetheless. All right, let's do our first sponsor. <laughs> all right. Ready this one's this you. is me. So look, what's cool about um audiobooks is you get to listen to people talk and read an audiobook. What's also cool about audiobooks is you get a different experience than if you read it on your own. And this sponsor, this is Ready Player One, the book by uh, uh, Ernie Klein, which is being made to a movie. It was a big hit. We get recommendation requests for read-alikes for the, all the time. Really fun book. And it has really great narration by Will Wheaton. If you've read Ready Player One, you should still listen to the audiobook. But it's, it's, really, it's really great. He's really fun. He's really nerdy and smart in a way that the book is really nerdy and smart. If you don't know what Ready Player One is about, here's what it's about. Okay, the synopsis. That's what they call it. I got a question about this like in Slack the other day. It's like, what do you call it when they do the summary of the book? It's like, synopsis like, weird. It's a Greek term that we still use. It's very specific. But here it is. Like most of humanity, Wade Watts escapes his grim surroundings by spending his waking hours jacked into the Oasis, capitals, all of this. This is a near-future kind of dystopia thing. A sp- an Oasis is a sprawling virtual utopia, partly because its creator, James Halliday, has hidden a series of keys in it. Whoever finds all of the keys and solves all of the riddles will win big time. When Wade stumbles on the first key, suddenly the race is on. Will Wheaton narrates the audiobook edition of this pop culture pop culture loving adventure filled quest. If you are a nerd like me from the late 80s into early 90s, um, you know, I'm 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, you're going to get your back to the future references here. You got Transformers, you got Star Wars, all in this big virtual world. You may have seen the trailer coming out Steven Spielberg is directing a giant um tentpole adaptation I believe is coming out in the spring or summer, I'm not sure. But in the meantime, you can have yourself a good time by listening to the great audiobook narrated by Will Wheaton of Ready Player One. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Go check it out. Okay. Uh, what am I doing here? Oh, so seemingly good guys we can pull for, or at least I can pull for. Should we do... Yes. Uh, yep, I'm pulling yeah, for this. So Colin Kaepernick, uh, the former uh, 49ers quarterback who um, has come into a different kind of fame for his outspoken social beliefs um, and started... I don't know that he started the take a knee. Yeah, he did. It was last season. He did. He was... And he was sitting Sitting first. first. And then he talked with a... He was sitting and then he talked with a um, veteran who suggested that if you were to take a knee, it would... Be better. Indicate more respect to the people who think that sitting out for the anthem is a diss Mm -hmm. to... um, Soldiers. Uh, Kaepernick's been politically outspoken. Um, was the lightning rod last, a lightning rod on his own last year uh, for those actions? But also has been speaking out about a lot of different issues. Um, he's not currently with an NFL team, uh, even though by most accounts he'd be good enough to be a quarterback somewhere. And he recently filed suit with the NFL, um, basically against discrimination for um, bas- you know basically they're colluding to not hire him for his political beliefs. Which I don't know the law well enough, but it sounds like there might there's there's grounds to sue now. Whether or not he's going to win, I don't know. But he signed this week a million dollar book deal, which 
I, I didn't think of Kaepernick writing a book, but as soon as I saw it, I was like, of course, of course he should write a book. This is absolutely something that should happen. I'd be fascinated to hear what he has mm-hmm. to say um, about whatever he chooses to say. So that's that's coming out. million bucks for uh, Kaepernick's book deal. What else? Anything else about that you yeah, find interesting? I'm, I'm glad to see that. You know, I mean, I think a million bucks, that's a great book deal. It's kind of nothing compared to what NFL players can and not make. if he ain't and playing I'm happy to see that he, well that's true <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean the NFL is certainly capitalizing now uh, for PR on the mm-hmm. movement that he began um, and so I'll be I'm pulling for him all the way around here but uh, also every time that he has an opportunity to speak about this or I've seen a few like short pieces that either he's written or that have been transcribed from speeches he's given that weren't in big public mm-hmm. venues, such a like, he did not enter into this lightly no. or with it without consideration and without a lot of education and real knowledge about these issues and about protest and activism and um, really smart, interesting guy. I think this is it's bound to be a fascinating book. I hope he takes his million dollar advance and then sells like Dan Brown numbers yep. of copies yep. uh, of it, yeah. and it and it goes huge. Um, Good for him. I can't. I'm really glad to see that. And it's with um, the One World imprint oh. at Random House, um, which is, is that Chris it Jackson? It is Chris Jackson, who is Chris Jackson. Coates' publisher super, and some others now. Yes. Yeah, super interesting stuff going on there um, I'm trying to in think, that imprint, so I'm happy to see that. I keep track a little bit of sports books. I, I used to collect baseball books, actually. I don't know if you knew that. Um, back when I, was, huh, a, I, didn't when know I that. was a teenager and yeah. liked baseball a lot more than I do now. Like nonfiction only or baseball ba- novels? Nonfiction now only. Nonfiction only, baby. Oh, well, oh, well, okay. Oh, that's not true. A little fiction thrown in there. But anyway, uh, enough about me at 15. Um, <laughs> no, I, Jeff, I, I am like, I, I, so I, when an uh, athlete is writing a book, I'm always interested and usually massively disappointed. I'm trying to remember the last time if ever, a book so politically charged. That's not, this book is not because of his exploits on the field. He was a decent quarterback. I wouldn't say he was great, but he had some success. It's going to be about a current political moment and his reaction, you know, it's going to be about sports. Mm -hmm. It's it's what's happened because of him being a quarterback, not him being a quarterback, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, this isn't like if uh, Peyton Manning right. wrote a leadership memoir. This is not the typical yeah. thing you get from a successful sports Yeah, writer. Manning Up by Peyton, a memoir. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's what it would be called. In real time, folks. This is like... <laughs> yep. uh, that's just how we roll here. Um, but I'm trying to think of one like this where a... You know, it could be playing recently retired athletes writing a largely political book. Um, we've had mm-hmm. political athletes, Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, for sure. Uh, yeah. And I don't know my history well enough to say, and I, I'll, I'm now, of course, going to look this up almost immediately, but um, one that was this overtly political, so close to that person's career, maybe even the middle of it. Like, if he, if he got signed tomorrow to a contract, no one would be surprised. In fact, you know, all things being equal, he probably should, which, of course, they never are, but... Um, will be an event when that book comes out, I would think. That's something really to, to anticipate there. Um, you mentioned Down Brown numbers. So this 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 piece got oh, me yes. all worked up the other day because this is apparently <laughs> thing I care about now, is caping for Dan Brown. Like, what happened? <laughs> that was the exact phrase I was going to use. Like, wh- why did this happen, Rebecca? We, we want our boy to be recognized. I guess so. 
I'm here for I'm here for this argument that you're about to well, make. It's, well, you know why you're here for it because it's true. Anyway, um, Publishers Weekly had a little post. Anyway, it's a nothing. It's a nothing little article. I don't even know why I'm so worried about this. But the headline is Turtles help sa- lift sales eight percent in early October, and they're noticing that October uh, the first three two weeks in October of this year are up. Sales are up. Uh, versus last year, not 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 too much, but a few percent, which. This is Publishers Weekly. This is the show. Welcome to the show. We care about this kind of stuff. But they're giving John Green credit for it because Turtles All the Way Down came out last week. And they're saying, you know, look at these sales. And I'm like, wait a minute. Dan Brown. But. Dan Brown. October 3rd, baby. October 3rd, Dan Brown book came out and outsold John Green's ass in this first week. Dan Brown sold more books this year, this month, than John Green has. Why doesn't it say Dan Brown helps lift sales? A, no, everyone sleeps on Dan Brown. I mean, like, I get it. You know, everybody sleeps they, on they, Dan. They, Brown. they sleep on him and they punch down. They punch on him. He's a punching bag that you sleep on, like a punching bag mattress. That's what Dan <laughs> Brown is. And <laughs> it's, whatever, like, you or I are not making the case. And people get on us a little bit. Of, no, someone's like the people don't like Dan Brown as much as you do, guys. Like, okay, fine, but he sold more books. It's not a question of liking yeah. the numbers. This is the, the these are the this facts, is- man. Yeah, yeah. This is not about our well-established bias yes. for Dan Brown. This is about the fact that if anybody's book sales helped lift bookstore numbers in early October, it was the person that sold the, the most, most books. books. Yes, and the per- and the person that sold the most books was not named John no. Green. He was named Dan Brown. And this is also no shade to John Green. Like John Green did not write no, this no, PW no. headline. So don't at me when you want John Green <laughs> to get attention. But I said on our, I think it was on the Insiders Mm -hmm. Slack channel when we were talking about this, that I think that these headlines happen because Dan Brown is not as sexy and shiny for headlines as John Green is. And uh, unless it's a headline, like you were mentioning, that is the of the punching down variety. Like every time, I I just got Southern there. Every Every time. time. Every every time. Don't knock over your sweet Dan Brown writes a book seriously there's a sweet tea on my desk right now it's just we're Mm -hmm. there um but every time there's a new dan brown book there's a rash of articles on the internet like dan brown is not a good writer which is actually the title of one that someone sent me this week (laughs) and (laughs) like first of all a lot of commercially successful writers are not like considered good writers Mm -hmm. by the literary establishment because snobbery is a real thing but also Dan Brown's not pretending to be mm. like he's not trying to win a Pulitzer or a Nobel. He knows exactly what he's doing. Like he says openly in interviews, I'm trying to write page turners and make them interesting and fun, which if you want to read it in a certain way is a stab at all of the like very boring navel gazing mm-hmm. stuff that happens in literary fiction. Uh, but Dan Brown doesn't read fiction, he tells us. So I don't know how much of that he's actually like how much of that he's aware of, which is all a long way to say that Dan Brown is the reason that bookstore sales are up in early October. And this business of not giving Dan Brown his due has got to go. Like, when James Patterson sells a floppity jillion books, we should be seeing yes. headlines about how sales are up because of James Patterson. Like, let us acknowledge what is real. <laughs> That's all I want. Our, our boy D. Brizzle sold a quarter million books in the last two weeks. That's ninety thousand more than you know, more than ninety thousand more than John. Now, I think I'm interested because we, we, you and I, were wondering aloud when we heard the news mm, about the John mm-hmm. Green book of people staring at. 
And they are. Um, they sold, let's see, did it, about 130,000 copies combined, according to BookScan last week. Interestingly, 82,000 of those, no, 85,000 of those were assigned, a special signed edition. My boy John hustled, I have to say. 82,000 mm-hmm. signed copies? That is crazy. Oh, that is a, yeah. I don't think there's any question that John Green has hustled. No, like, no, he's gonna no, work. no, no. But like this is, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. 82,000 signed copies. 82, how long do you think it's that It's got takes? a special ISBN because number one like, and number two are both turtles all the way down, but like the signed edition is broken out separately. Must have a different ISBN. So if you, if you could sign what one book every five seconds, I don't know. That's, that's a lot. Still, that's a lot. You're doing oh you're doing gosh. twelve a minute. You're still looking at a lot of minutes. <sighs> that's many. Yeah. You you could listen to so many audiobooks. Yeah, you yeah I know that. it's true. You may even get through um one a Dan Brown book. <laughs> Probably could you do know, it, get through it. Bob is listening to uh, he's listening to Dune right oh, now, which is I think it's very actually long, listed yes. as 109 million hours. Oh man, I mean, good job, John Green, but gooder job, yes. Dan Brown. Yeah, uh, that's all. That's all we're saying. Following here. up on some of the other ones we've been following, uh, Rupi Kaur's "The Sun and Her Flowers" in its second week sold another fifty thousand units, bringing one hundred thirty thousand units. Uh, for for the for the week uh, for the the lifetime of sunflowers mm-hmm. in just two weeks, and, and I might also say you know coming within a stone's throw, a three thousand so uh, copies of John Green yep. in his first week. So you mm-hmm. know there's books that are selling. I, you know th- this is more about like the the narrative, like the, how the narrative gives shapes. Like mm-hmm. books are what they are, right? Like sometimes we gloss over, and you know everyone knows this, but no one talks about it. That like your Daniel steals. I'm just looking right now at the bestseller list. Uh, your Debbie Maycomers, oh, yeah. your Pattersons, your Nelson DeMille's, uh, your Sue Grafton's, your John Grisham's, your J.D. Robb's. Those are names off the top 25 in hardcover fiction. Ain't nobody talking about those books. We're, we're not, frankly, talking about those books, which is fine. You don't have mm-hmm. to talk about them. But you're, you're like actually trying to use data and say, here's the numbers and here's what's going on. Acknowledge what where the most the books are you know where the sales are coming from if you're going to talk about sales that that's fine you can also not like Dan Brown I don't care if you don't like Dan Brown uh, but let's you know give the boys I mean some you're credit. wrong but it's well fine. I mean you have the right to be wrong <laughs> it's not fun it's you don't living a full and complete life but you have the right to do that it's fine it's not a problem I don't mind <laughs> anyway we don't care at all so there's that uh, let's see there's something else with sales oh it was just mentioning too that um, uh, Ron Chernow's new book. Uh, Grant, 27,000 copies sold. So for a giant presidential biography, it seems to be doing pretty well there. Um, I don't see... I didn't see a comp over the first week sales for um, The Fault in Our Stars, which is kind of what I was interested oh, in. Oh, I haven't seen that either. Right, because yeah. that, that... I bet we could dig that yeah, up. Yeah, I bet but... we could. But like that's kind of the comp, right? Do people care as much now as they did then? Because that book was hyped, Right. The Fault in mm-hmm. Our Stars, like, we were all ready for and the And that genre. was, like, that was at, like, the height of the John Green nerd fighter mm-hmm. YouTube mania mm-hmm. also. Like, I understand that he's still on YouTube and still has a large following and people still love their John Green, but it does feel like the excitement has waned a little bit. Obviously not enough to really, like, make his book sales look unimpressive because they are very yeah. impressive. Um, Publishers Weekly is giving him all of the credit here. Um but people seem to be liking this to book. That week don't, don't you think? This, yeah, I've heard good they things. They do. I've, yeah, I've been hearing things too. Liberty mentioned on all the books this week that she's been hearing that it's the best one of his yet. Really? So, um, yeah. 
Did you read any of his? Have you read any interesting. of his? I read The Fault in Our Stars the year that it came out because wasn't it in um, wasn't it in the Rooster uh, the that year in books. the Tournament of it Books? It might have been. I read it too. I think but I don't know that why. it came. I think it must have been that. Like I feel like that's why I read it was it was one of the years that we were reading through all mm. the finalists for the Tournament of mm-hmm. Books because um, it's other it's usually that's it, his flavor is not my flavor yeah. um, and so I just typically don't go there. But I did read The Fault in Our Stars. Mm. Um, Interesting. I like the title of Turtles All the Way Down. <laughs> you do like a turtle? It's a fun... You don't mind it? I like a turtle. I like Turtles All the Way Down. I think it's a great phrase. Mm-hmm. People most of the time don't know what you're saying <laughs> when you say it's Turtles All the Way Down, but they like look very serious and nod at you like they are supposed to know what you're saying. <laughs> so it is It is a good, it's a, it's a good title. Little reference there. I, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in this all, but like the, the notice I've seen... I'm probably not still going to read it, but like the probability went from about 0% to like 8% that I'll read this at some point, I'd say. Something like that, if anybody cares. If anyone's keeping score (laughs) about the likelihood of me reading a particular book, (laughs) update your records. Man, don't tell us. Yeah, yeah, I was right. Yeah, that's right. We have to end the the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have an update on my reading habits. The new Meg Wallitzer is stellar. Oh, oh, is that right? Now, -hmm. does it warrant the the big gun? I don't. I don't know. I think that's a no. That's a no. No, no, no. It's not. It's not. I was gonna let me qualify. I think it's hard to know what a lasting book is going, what which books are going to last when the books are published. That if you look at many of the books now that are a generation or two or three old that we're talking about still and that we're reading, they were either ignored in their time or panned in their time or like it was a commercial success that everybody thought was just a commercial, like Gone with mm. the Wind was a commercial success that people loved but was frowned upon by literary types. And it has held over as this example of, you know, American literature of a certain time frame. So I think it's a real, I think it's just really tough. I think it's very ballsy to have declared this is a, like, this is the great American novel of the early 21st century. We'll talk about it for generations, but I am happy to confirm. I think it is a great American novel. It's really, really fantastic. And it does like Meg Wallitzer's observations about contemporary womanhood, especially are just spot on and razor sharp. Um, I loved it. I think it's going to have heavy competition. It's going to be hard for something to knock that out mm. already of like what my best book of 2018 will be. This is a big one to start with, but um, I, I'm, I, man, it's, I think it's just hard to say this is going to be read for generations. Well, you know, my rule, do you remember um, I used to do those hundred greatest American novel posts? I've been meaning to upgrade, update my last one for like a year or three years where oh, right. I would do... I do remember there were criteria. Yeah, you have to wait 20 years. Like, you know, so mm-hmm. right now I wouldn't consider anything published in 1996 or 1997 or after. Like, for the same right. reason you just outlined, like you just you just don't know yet. You need at least in 20 years is probably, you know, Melville's a good example. Like I think some, it was like a, a, an English professor in the 1920s that basically resurfaced Moby Dick. You know, Alice Walker mm-hmm. and Robert Hemingway, mostly Alice Walker, but also Robert Hemingway's biography of Zora Neale Hurston, resuscitated her in the 70s, you know, 35 years after Their Eyes Were Watching God was published. So, you know, th- these things take... T- this is a rabbit hole that we could... I mean, you know, you know <laughs> I could go down this particular... Um, in fact, I think it's a hole that I dug. I'm the rabbit uh, in this particular... <laughs> um <laughs> 
But uh, anyway, um, speaking of, speaking of um, animals, HelloFresh. <laughs> Why well, it's chicken? It's shrimp. Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code BOOKRIOT30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. They sent us some HelloFresh. I'll talk about that in a minute. So here's what it is. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. Uh, They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed so there's no food waste. HelloFresh employs two full-time registered dietitians who review each recipe to ensure it is nutritionally balanced. They deliver food to your doorstep in recyclable, insulated box for free. They offer light summer meals and breakfast options, just got introduced, all kinds of stuff. And it comes out to be about less than $10 a meal. So they sent us a box to try so we would talk about it. And I got three mm-hmm. meals. I got a shrimp one, I got a beef taco one, and I got a chicken one. And I got to say, oh, those are the ones I the got. The kids too. and I made them together. We had a grand old time. They ate them. Yep. We had a great time. The recipes weren't tough, but they were they're just fancy enough where it wasn't like I'm just throwing chicken on the skillet like I always do, like that kind of stuff. Like there was, you know, I had to crush something and grate something a little bit, a lot of sprinkling, a lot of qualitative cooking directions, which makes me feel like I'm really cooking. Um, and the results were great. It did take about 30 minutes, so it's like you're not popping something in the microwave, but it comes out, it looks good, it smells good, fresh. I thought all the ingredients were nice and fresh, very easy. I also like mm-hmm. that you know, you weren't making a whole bunch. There was enough for the kids and I to eat, uh, and we had a good time together. I have to say I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really liked it too. The serving sizes were totally appropriate. Yes. Which um, and Bob and I were just cooking for the two of us, and so usually even if I cut a recipe down, it's like I'm cutting down something that would serve six to eight, and I end up with more food than the <laughs> two of us need. So I loved this that the serving sizes were completely appropriate. Uh, I, I often struggle with pre-prepared stuff because I think it's under seasoned, mm. but I didn't think that HelloFresh was under seasoned. It was really flavorful, and I liked that. And uh, well, Bob did the cooking here, and so I'm usually the cook in our house. I love to cook, and so I will spend like two hours making dinner because it's one of my happy zen places. I don't mind chopping a million things and measuring out a dozen seasonings. Um, But I'm doing this yoga training right now and I'm spending my weekends being very busy. And so Bob has taken over a lot of our dinners on those nights. And on one of them, he was like, I'm making fancy tacos. Yeah, you are. And it was hello. It was hello fresh. And they were delicious. And they looked beautiful. Like you can look at the photos that come on the cards and kind of see how to plate and present the meal if that's a thing that you care mm-hmm. about, uh, which is the thing that I care <laughs> about. And it like it looked impressive. And it re- I watched him cook it. And it really did only that meal, I think only took like 15 or 20 minutes to prepare. And it was very good. And um, it didn't taste like it was a fast dinner. Nope. I was super impressed. I thought these were a lot of fun too. Yep. So go check out HelloFresh.com and use the promo code BOOKRIOT30 to save 30 bucks off your first week of del- deliveries when you subscribe. Also, let them know you came from us. Maybe they'll come back, give us some free free stuff that we can tell you how uh, how inexperienced I am in the kitchen. Even I, I When I cook, I really call it heating up. I don't cook, I heat up stuff. But this, I really did feel like I was actually <laughs> cooking stuff, which is nice. It was a nice change of pace. Okay. Uh, oh, gross dudes see. being I gross. I want to talk about... Should we get rid of this? Oh. Well, you know what? We should at well, least talk about let's... one because speaking of people that move units, 
Yeah, let's let I me mean, let's talk about them because you have to. I talk mean, about that's it. why that's um, how they get away with this stuff, right? That no one says and blah blah blah. I guess like I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't. I really don't. Uh, these are both tales of comeuppance. Yes. So I'm here. I, I'm I'm here for that. So so this is our gross men being gross corner. Bill O'Reilly has been dropped by his literary agency, um, William Morris Entertainment, one of the big literary agencies. It is our fiduciary mm-hmm. responsibility to service the existing deals we have under contract, but we will not be working with him moving forward. There is no comment necessarily. Um, Holt, his publisher, has not yet commented either. Um, and he does all of these like killing historical figures books really it's a you know killing the rising sun killing kennedy and he sells a million copies like i'm just looking at it right now they killing they have sold more than 17 million uh, it's crazy copies. the most current one killing england the whole country i guess i don't know um came out in september and it sold two hundred twelve thousand copies today it's the number one best-selling hardcover non-fiction book in the land right now um, if you haven't been paying attention and maybe you've got to miss this, he recent it was recently reported that he settled $32 million in sexual harassment suits while at Fox News. Um, sounds like a great guy. Uh, and, uh, basically his age, his, uh, his agency was like, boy, bye and good on him for doing it. Cause they're losing money. Yeah. I mean, it'll be very They're losing lots of money on this. I mean, they should do this. Absolutely. So is this a cookie situation? Probably not, but still they did leave a bunch of money on the table, which if people had done this earlier with Weinstein or Riley or any of these guys, maybe mm-hmm. we wouldn't be right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, it's hard to find the right balance when we're talking about these stories. Cause of course this is the outcome that we want. Yes. Um, when, so when someone is known to be, morally reprehensible um we want to see a publisher drop them or a literary agency drop them and to have that platform and the authority and status that they're given to be revoked it's just the right thing Mm -hmm. it happens so infrequently that when it does happen we're like yeah right Right. (laughs) um but but right i don't want to be i don't want to give cookies for having just done the right thing but i am glad to see that it's happened i think it will be really interesting to see what henry holt decides to do in may the president and publisher stephen rubin said that they were totally committed to Bill long-term. But new things are coming out, especially since Hachette shuttered the Weinstein books Mm -hmm. imprint. There, I think, will be pressure on Henry Holt to get out of bed with Bill O'Reilly. So be interesting to see what direction that goes and if they feel like they have to follow the lead there. Mm -hmm. The bigger gross men being gross, like bigger just for sheer volume and... Sheer gross tonnage, gross weight even. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, gross tonnage. Um, More and more of the Harvey Weinstein stuff is coming out, but there was a particular piece today that related to um, books in The Hollywood Reporter about how he used the imprint as a way to exert influence and also as essentially like part of the cover up mm-hmm. of decades long um, sexual harassment that he knew he was doing. Um, and I think you said when we were talking about it privately that it's astonishing in this piece, especially that it like, what was, what else was Harvey Weinstein uh... doing? Like, because it seems like he was spending a great deal of his time, either harassing women or, covering up the harassment that he had already engaged in. I mean, I I guess I'm naive. I mean, I'm willing to admit that I didn't know. I mean, I know there are nasty dudes out there that do terrible stuff. 
I, I guess I'm just still surprised myself that this much activity in legitimate business, like this isn't the mafia. Like that's what I expect from this kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? It's all underhand and everyone knows, but like it's also, we all know that's illegal. Like in his film group, in the book group, so much of the infrastructure of the businesses he was at the head of was engaged in cajoling, covering up, getting him connections with women to harass and do whatever it is he was doing with. Like, it's just, it continually blows my mind that it happened this way. And the stories and about, you know, signing reporters to lucrative book contracts mm-hmm. and maybe that was a cover-up or like trying... Signing Rudy Giuliani yeah, to $3 million right, deals. Right, and political... I mean, I guess we know why people buy political influence. I guess I just didn't ever consider it was for like felonious, nasty behavior like this. You know, buying... buying, Attempting to buy the rights to books in which he's portrayed even unflatteringly, right? It's something he tried to do here. Yeah, that there was one where... He had only read the like one chapter and a proposal of the book. He couldn't get his hands on the manuscript because the whole manuscript didn't exist. And he went ahead and made an offer on it because he had heard that it pr- said he was unattractive, not right. handsome, um, and wanted to have some control over that. This also goes to show you that if you are a rich man oh, with a man. lot of power, your tentacles can be very long and in everything um that's an unfortunate metaphor in this situation yeah, well but, but but it's a good one because it, it does it, it, come it, down from the top and it's it's spidery and mm-hmm. it gets into the cracks everywhere and i guess i always assumed I, I knew stuff like this was happening but i always assumed i guess that it was much more like i don't know covert like it was really mm-hmm. in back rooms and Whatever, but this was like this is like boardroom stuff, and this is like this con- the stuff we learned about how his contract with the company was put together. Like as long as he covered his own sexual harassment, find you know suits, he could still keep his job. I was like Jesus, everybody knew, and it just I, and it, I guess this is just another example of that it came all the way down to the level of trying to buy books to control the story, and that was one of the purposes mm-hmm. of his publishing or one of the uses. Yeah, and. I've seen some tweets lately about like, imagine if people were Harvey Weinsteining in publishing. And there have been a few pieces in the last week where women who work in publishing and writer, women writers as well, have have told um, kind of blind mm-hmm. item stories about experiences that they've had without giving really any identifying information or naming any names, but like, but it is happening in publishing. The Whisper Network is just as real in this industry as it is in Hollywood. And I imagine in all other industries where people talk to Mm. each other and know about what it's like, like women in every industry know what it's like to work for the different men in that industry. Um, And there are some very well-known and very powerful men in high positions in publishing that I would assume, like based on like literal dozens of stories that I've heard about them, And I don't live in New York and don't go to the parties where presumably more Mm. of these stories get told. Um, You have to assume that the people at the upper echelons of those companies know that that's the deal with like the guy at the head of that one imprint. Um, That it's, but also no one's addressing it because 
no one's come out like publicly swinging yet or taken him to court or um, had a journalist you know, willing that, to had enough sources right, that they right, were covered for right. media liability something or that something. Would, yeah, exactly. Like no one has done something that would threaten to damage the mm. brand or the company's reputation yet. So we're all just going to kind of like skate along there. But I think the day is coming. Like the women of publishing have, seen some examples happen here um, from Hollywood as well. And it's not the first big, like, long-term harasser mm-hmm. situation in publishing to be addressed. I think it will it will happen. I was thinking about, um, we'll a lot of people were asking, like, why did it, why now with Harvey and why now? And then, mm. I mean, heads are rolling. I mean, I'm sure there's more that deserve it, but we're getting stories about people losing their deals, like, like um Mark Halpern at a- ABC was just stepped down or stepped away because of accusations and things are things are coming to light or I don't even know the right metaphor because it's known but hadn't been public or public in a different kind of way like and I wonder mm-hmm. if you know we talked we, we you and I have talked about thinking fast and slow and we need to get back on that horse actually now that I think about it at some point but like yeah, I, <laughs> now that we're off of I wonder if there's some sort of psychological effect happening where I don't know if it's a safety and numbers thing or a social proof sort of thing or what, but all the stories, like all of a sudden it is sticking in a way it didn't stick with Bill Cosby, like, or it stuck to Cosby, but it didn't cause this domino effect that seems to be happening. And I think you're right. I think publishing is, I mean, there are dudes doing this in every field. Harvey Weinstein, there's a chance he's like the grossest one. But it's not like an order of magnitude difference. Like it's differs by in degree, not by kind from some of these actors here. And I'm sure there's, I mean, you'd be dumb at this point, I think, to bet against someone's name coming out in a big high profile situation in any field at this point. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, I kind of think the why now is partially connected to the fact that the New York Times reporters who broke this had been working on it forever and accumulating a lot of quotes to be able to break the story in a very credible way. And for Cosby's I guess we're just going down this yeah, path Yeah, we'll, we'll do, give um, ourselves three his, more minutes on this and we'll get off of it. Yeah, yeah that, that's a giant... Cosby's like a giant of reputation and public opinion, I guess. But Harvey Weinstein continued to have, like for decades, has had a lot of power um, and control over other people's careers. And one of the comments that I think I've seen, you know, floating around on several people's Twitter feeds about it is like, well, you can now, you know, those actresses that you think about from the mid nineties and you wonder whatever happened to them. Mm. Probably the thing that happened to them is that they turned Harvey Weinstein down. Um, And that's, there's real momentum, I think, behind not only was this really gross, but he like, and not only does being harassed or assaulted affect a person's life, but he was affecting their careers, and that's real coercion and manipulation, and it it does embolden other people to come out and tell stories in the same industry or similar stories in other industries. Um, I saw. Anthony Bourdain commenting this morning that he knows lots of stories about this, but only recently from the cooking world mm. because he's been separated from it for a while now and only very recently have women that he's known for decades um, started to tell him the stories about what happened to them in that in that very male-dominated industry. And his piece was kind of, I think it was on Slate, and he was like, I've been looking at myself trying to figure out where I've gone wrong that these women that I thought I was a safe place for actually did not think I was a, you know, a strong enough ally that they could have told mm. me this when it was happening. Um, and that's happening too if you're in publishing and you're a dude thinking like, well, who are these guys? Every woman that you know knows who mm. they are. <laughs> 
um, and has stories to tell. And I, I, I think it will for sure come out for, we'll be talking about the book world version of this at some point. And I guess it's also something that comes out of thinking fast and slow too, is like, you need kind of a mental model for how news like this can break. Like how can, and, and something that's mm-hmm. been silenced for so long, you need a, a, a way to imagine a way out. And we, like the, the thing well, Bourdain is sort of saying is like, well, he, he, he's like, there was, he didn't, there wasn't really an antecedent for him to look for. Women didn't have an, an experience of like a powerful male figure going to bat for them about this. So why would they ask him? Because there's no antecedent for it, right? Like, one well, and there is a lot of precedent for women report these yes. kinds of experience and are and are and go, not no believed. that's what I'm saying there was um, no or, they're like why or, would I say right. nothing ever happens why would I say anything right. exactly it, this is the way the thing that's unique or not completely unique perhaps but notable about the Weinstein stuff is that there were enough of these women and they were believed by enough people mm-hmm. um, in the right positions to break the story so that it got enough noise made mm-hmm. around it. And there are still plenty of people writing op-eds claiming that all of these women are lying and they just don't like Harvey Weinstein or they just want their 15 minutes of fame, which like there are other ways <sighs> to get 15 minutes of fame. Accusing a man of sexual assault has never been good for a woman's career. And the guys tend to be just fine. Woody Allen is still working. Oh, God, I know. You know, I was thinking um, uh, one of my favorite movies of, of late. It's hard to watch, but I do watch a lot because I admire the movie so much. Is Spotlight. That's about the, the scandal and the cover-up of sexual abuse by mm. Catholic priests, not just in Boston, but it turns out to be everywhere. But a lot of the, a lot of the patterns were similar, right? Everyone did know, like, or, or at least mm-hmm. knew that they didn't know or something like that, or like knew something, but that maybe. Something felt but weird. Maybe that's, yeah. But that's a weird story. And, didn't, the, and there was a big system in place to protect, defend, deflect, discredit, uh, and other D words, um, people. And the, the victims in this case didn't have power. They were almost completely at the mercy. Like, there's a reason these kind of structural things happen. And the thing that um, Marty Barron says, that played by Leif Schreiber, and that, that sticks with me is like, we're not going after law, we're going after the system. The system is the thing. Like, Weinstein's a bad guy. He should go. But don't mistake the system for Weinstein and Weinstein's for the system. It's the system that has to change. And there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of uncomfortable truths that I'm sure will going to come out. Um, but it's the system. And when it's a system involved, it goes all the way to the bottom and top and everywhere in between. So it's good that it's coming to light. Um, it's unfortunate it ever happened, but it's, you know, it's going to get, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better in terms of how this stuff comes out. Oh yeah. I think we're going to hear a whole lot of these stories. And I have to say, I know you were surprised to see sort of this the stuff with Harvey Weinstein go even into the book's yeah. imprint. And I think I was surprised, but for a different mm. reason. Like, like I kind of had the feeling of like, if you have all the Hollywood power, right? do you really need to <laughs> use books? Um, but I guess when you're that kind of like comic book villain level of badness, then you use all the tools that you have available to you. And some of these people wanted book deals and they wanted that influence. And so that is what he had that he could give them um, to reinforce that system of silence that he had. But I was kind of like, oh, oh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. If you're kind of trying to sideways shut up a journalist, though, like a movie deal doesn't help you. I mean, like, it's the wrong thing. Right, like, I'm going to, I'm not going to give you the starring role in Shakespeare in Love, dude that works at the New York Observer. Like, I, I mean, it, it's, it's the right tool for the job, I guess. Like, it's kind of nefarious <laughs> mm-hmm. and, 
in the way that it worked. Um, anyway, so it is like, are we get like, did Harvey Weinstein secretly own radio stations that he put pop stars on to? You know what? <laughs> I wouldn't. I believe it all. Where uh, Bill Simmons calls this the Tyson Zone, where you believe any st- the, uh, mm. the the story about a figure is gotten so out of hand that you'll believe any story. Like he said, this about Mike Tyson. Yeah, we're in the Tyson Zone with mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein. Everything's on the table um, for what he did um, and what he did to cover up what he did. All right, let's do our last sponsor, and then we'll f- we'll f- end up with some happy news and regular book. Yeah, we'll stuff. talk about some fun stuff. Our last sponsor this week is Haven by Mary Lindsay. And this is about Rain Ryland, who has never belonged anywhere. He is used to people judging him for his rough background, his intimidating size, and now his orphan status. He's always been on the outside looking in, but he's okay with that until he moves to New Würzburg and meets Friedrich Burkhardt. Freddie isn't like normal teen girl. Frederic, sorry. Uh, Freddie isn't like normal teen girls, and someone wants her dead for it. Freddie warns he'd better stay away if he wants to stay alive, but Rain's never been good at running from trouble. For the first time, Rain has something worth fighting for, worth living for, worth dying for. So ancient magic and modern society collide in this sexy, spellbinding romance. It's perfect for fans of Cece Hunter and Maggie Stiefvater that proves that sometimes beauty is the beast. Other YA authors are drooling over Rain Rylan and fanning themselves over Mary's intense and sexy storytelling. Booksellers are welcoming Haven onto their shelves with a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, and it's a kick-butt heroine with supernatural powers and a mysterious loner, uh, and their lives intertwine to create a really intense read. Um, also, Mary Lindsay won the uh, was awarded a Rita award, which is a great honor for her romance writing, and this book will help you discover why. So if that sounds good, this is called Haven. It's by Mary Lindsay. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Thanks to them for sponsoring. The, okay, I need to just talk about a few things that delight the me. Gold, the golden <laughs> age of adaptations continues to glimmer. Um, this, The latest installment is um, a, a new story that uh, Golden Globe nominee Issa Rae is set to executive produce uh, a pilot for a series, um, and it looks like written and executive produced by Angela Flournoy, author of the Turner Woo-hoo. House, Book Riot favorite, a book I loved. I got to interview her live at Book Riot Live yes. for Reading Live. She was great, great writer, um, a great debut novel. Uh, mm-hmm. bridging the later Reagan era and early Clinton years, the drama will center on the marriage of Cheryl and Jackson with the form an envelope bounds pushing real estate agents. Where they said envelope? Can you just say boundary? Anyway, real estate agent in the latter a conflicted <laughs> LAPD anti-gang task force recruit. The potential series will also feature the couple's teen daughter and son, Ebony and Les. Mm-hmm. Really? In- I mean... So it's not... It's not technically an adaptation because it's not the oh, Turner House. Oh, you're right. Coming to you're HBO. right. I'm sorry. My mistake. My mistake. It's not an adaptation. Um, but we are seeing more and more novelists, I think, get recruited yes. into writing for TV because TV has turned. We are in this amazing era of TV, and it has turned to literary quality storytelling. So it's even beyond um, so adaptation, I'm, Gold Rush. This is just go right mm-hmm. to the author Sands book to adapt. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yes. Well, and she's great. Oh yeah, uh, we she's know wonderful. Angela Flournoy is great at, and she's great at family mm. dynamic. The, the Turner House presents that family's particular moment from a bunch of the different characters' perspectives, and so I think she'll be able to take this on for sure. Um, but set in L.A. in the early and turbulent '90s, and Issa Rae is so funny, and Angela Flournoy is so observant mm. and smart. I think this is going to be 
it's gonna be conflicted LAPD anti-gang task force. I mean, like, wasn't Rodney King like in '93? Wasn't that like you get oh, all that yes, stuff yeah. and um, mm-hmm. you know the emergence of of rap as a pop cultural phenomenon coming out of Inglewood and everything there? There's a lot going on there. I'm sure it'll be amazing. Um, you know, it, it got me thinking. Did you are you young enough? Did you see Swingers when it came out? Have you seen it since then? The movie oh, yeah, Swingers. Uh-huh. Oh, There's yes. a line there mm-hmm. that Favreau said. John Favreau says like. You know, I came out and I was, I was under the impression they were giving um, sitcoms to stand-ups when they got off the airplane. Like, you know, that was the age of yeah. Seinfeld and all those and Ray Romano. They all, all the stand-up comedians got a, a, a sitcom. Now it's like all the good writers get a get a pilot project with HBO. Like that. That's the. That's this is the. This version mm-hmm. of that was for stand-up comedians in like the early '90s. This is what it is for people that can write complex, interesting, human-centered stories you, you're gonna get a shot yeah. oh, i guess you know. or i mean it, this is amazing i mean because she has one book i mean don't get me wrong it's one book and this is not even on a book like they're really trusting her uh to do a great job mm-hmm. which is great it's just not a world i have encountered before like this now i want like the celeste ing hbo series yeah the you know what i don't like about you these you know what i don't like about these we've talked about this before that they're not, they're not writing, writing more a book. books when they're writing. <laughs> but Jeff, we both are great lovers of TV. Yeah, I don't watch as much TV as I used to. And I would like this series. I, you know, I'm greedy. I want it all. I want the next Flournoy <laughs> book and I want the series she writes with this array. I want it all. I don't want, I don't want me to you know, say. But I'm a book guy first. I'm a book guy first. And I was on Turner House early. I liked that book early. I, th- I might have gotten a review copy of that, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm now the guy that's like, I, I liked them before they were cool. I got to shut up. <laughs> Yeah, if you keep going down that road, I'm going to be talking about like Dashboard Confessional yeah, in right. 1999, and then it's just over. So let's go to yeah, where you go next? more. I think this is, I want to go to Hallmark, yeah. because this is also everybody's trying to get into books. Hallmark is now taking submissions for romance and mystery novels. 65,000 to 85,000 words must have a happy ending. The Hallmark Publishing tagline, it was news to me that Hallmark Publishing is a thing, Hmm. first of all, is stories that make you smile and warm your heart. They must be wholesome. Hugging and kissing are okay, but no nudity, sex, profanity, or graphic depictions of sexuality or violence. And if you're writing a murder mystery, the murder must happen off the page. They also want you to steer clear of overly paranormal storylines, but a little time travel or magic is okay. Heavy redemption arcs, young adult and nonfiction. (laughs) So very tightly defined here. Third person is best. Um, Bonus points. If you think of an idea for a series or write a romance. That specific, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Romances are usually third person. Yeah, I guess I knew that. Like because I I knew they that. often move between the it's like close third person between the um heroine and the hero's perspectives. Hmm. There's usually some back and forth there. Ro- rotating heads or something like that. Well, you that. can do rotating um, for, anyway. We don't have to get into this. Yeah. I know. know, I'm just curious. Um, And you get bonus points if you write an idea for a series or a romance novel in one of Hallmark's favorite themes, like Christmas, small towns, and seasonal. And it says they never read movie scripts, so resist the urge to send them. (laughs) Because Hallmark does make a million original movies. So I first saw this headline like, oh, maybe they want to acquire stories that then they can turn into Hallmark movies, but it seems like they're not hard up Mm -hmm. for scripts for their Hallmark movies. They're getting into publishing, or maybe they have been for a while. I need to do some digging about how long Hallmark has been publishing. But 
I think this, like, you could pick up one of these books and you're going to feel just fine when it's over. Like, your world will not be sad because Hallmark is guaranteeing you a happy ending. Might be a little, well, I don't know, a little clean. They're going for wholesome. But it's like, it's like the going, romance version a, of like a cozy mystery, it sounds like. You know, I right. I think this is genius. Like Hallmark starts airing the Christmas movies, I think like right now, like around <laughs> Halloween. So you can watch about two. I'm not no, joking. No, I know you're not. You can watch like two months worth of gloriously cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies if you start now. And people love them. People love them. I, I may uh, have watched so one or two. And not, people. I may have watched one or two and not, I, I will say I did not not enjoy parts of it. I mean, I get why people <laughs> like it. Like, it's it's kind of the, the, the visual entertainment equivalent of a Yule log. Like, it's about the, you know, like it's on... It makes you feel kind of warm, you know, kind of nonspecific. You're not going to be like sad or no, freaked out when it's no, over. No, no, yeah. no. A lot of twinkly lights and candles and mm-hmm. very, very light tension. Mishaps, but like very gentle ones. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. It's like vanilla ice cream, but with less flavor. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like shade. No, I mean, maybe vanilla is the right thing. It's just... It's it's like a yeah, sw- cozy sweater, you know. You're not really, you're you're looking to be com- cozy. That that's what it you is. You know what it is? It's a cup of hot chocolate. Yes, exactly. Dead on. Just something like that. You know, I don't know this. Like, it doesn't. It, it's so familiar. It doesn't even sound weird. But like Hallmark's, it's like a Kansas City company, right? And it started out in greeting cards. Mm, right. How did it get into TV? Like, what the heck? Like, doesn't that seem weird all of a sudden? <laughs> like, there, I never really thought there, about it until just this second. Like, Hallmark, of course they have, a, like, the TV station, I just know, but, like, how'd they make the jump from greeting cards to television? That's weird. I don't know how the whole jump happened, but, like, it is it is a very family-friendly yeah. brand. And I remember when I was a kid that some of, I, one of the major networks, I don't remember if it was, like, ABC or NBC or whatever, but one of the networks would air a Hallmark movie, like a Hallmark special. Okay. Um, and I maybe those were so successful that then when cable became what cable is now, Hallmark decided to make a whole channel. So did did Hallmark, um, did they, was it like the old radio ads where Hallmark was like Geritol, like brought to you by Hallmark? Or was it like you're watching this show oh, because no, Hallmark made it? Like Hallmark made it, Yeah. And and so the thinking was like I like their greeting cards I'll try their TV sh- anyway there's something weird I I now want to know that I, that's something I care <laughs> well, about suddenly you like that feeling you get when you noodle into a Hallmark store and you browse some precious moments figurines yes. and yeah I, I hear buy what you're a scented saying. candle yeah. right 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 yeah I gotcha I just <laughs> I am outside my lane no now. but I just it's not obvious though right like. It's like saying, you know, right. it's the Bed Bath & Beyond channel. Like, okay, I guess, but it's also strange. That better be our show. <laughs> they got in there. There's nowhere to go from the Bed Bath & Beyond channel. <laughs> Just nowhere. Uh, you can find show notes to this and other back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. You can send us an email, bookriot, or excuse me, podcast at bookriot.com. Do we have any questions for this week? I don't think we asked anybody any questions. And I'm trying to see. No. That's it. Ooh, if you know of other sports figures who oh, wrote political memoirs. Yes, I like that one. Also, if you have a favorite Hallmark holiday special, I may not not be interested in that. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one.